church on this uh, Palm Sunday, welcome, and next week, of course, being Easter, our services will be held jointly here and in our gym at 9 o'clock, at 10.15, and then 11.30 here. So we ask you that if you are here on this uh, Palm Sunday, uh, please come back next week at 9 o'clock. We're expecting our larger crowds at 10.15, so if Please be back here next week at 9 o'clock. Bring others with you or ask them to come at 1130. Is that pretty clear? And this Palm, uh, excuse me, this uh, Good Friday, we will have a service here at 7 o'clock as part of our Holy Week observance. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 and other passages today talking about the triumphal entry of Christ. But hear the scripture out of Mark chapter 11. Now, when they were near Jerusalem to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that had Cut from the fields, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Lord, we thank you for the, the glory of Easter week, and we pray that as we think about the triumphal entry, that you would open our eyes and our minds to see the beauty and the grandeur of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1940, June, France fell. And right before France fell to the Nazis, the British Army and French Army were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. There were 380-some thousand men and a study commission determined what would happen in the coming days. And they said, at best, we can bring 25 to 50,000 men home. The rest will become prisoners of war. And Churchill said, this is the brain and the central nervous system of the British Army. And then what many have called the, the miracle of Dunkirk, not 25 to 50,000, but 386,000 men were saved from Nazi POW or slaughter and were brought back to England. And, and then the war continued to unfold, and for the next year and a half, Britain suffered defeat after defeat after defeat. In 1942, February, the unthinkable happened. Singapore fell, thus meaning Japan ruled all of Southeast Asia, save for Indonesia at that time. But then in November, the British won their first major victory at a place called the Battle of Egypt when a man named General Montgomery and General Alexander defeated Rommel. The next day, Churchill gave a speech, and this is what he said. I have never promised anything but blood, tears, toil, and sweat. Now, however, 
we have a new experience. We have a victory, a remarkable and definite victory. The bright gleam has caught the helmets of our soldiers and warmed and cheered all our hearts. And then he said this, but please be aware, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Well, we come to a, a place now in the Christian calendar called Holy Week. And this is, in the life of Christ, the beginning of the end. The one who had time after time said, tell no one about the miraculous. Tell no one about these things. Now very publicly and in full control sets himself to enter into Jerusalem, really into the valley of death. It is the beginning of the end. In the gospel, the gospel of Luke alone, he says this, in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day he will be raised. And later he sends, in Luke, taking the twelve aside, he said to them, See, we are now going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And then this commentary is given by Luke, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Purposefully, the Lord of all glory, God in the flesh, is going to Jerusalem. And the expectations are incredibly high. In John chapter 12, it says this, Verse 17 and 18, it says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him on this triumphal entry was that they had heard he had done this sign. Expectations were high. Right before this, in the account of Mark, Jesus heals a man who's been blind from birth named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus and his people follow Christ and into this incredible, triumphal entry. Tensions are high. The Pharisees, in seeing all of this, say, they say to the Lord, rebuke your disciples. Why are they saying these things? In the account in John, the Pharisees say one to another, the world has gone after him as this Christ is coming into Jerusalem he, he fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 9 when he secures a, a, a young donkey that was fit for a child or a hobbit but not for a king you see a, a king comes in on a war horse a king comes in triumphantly a king comes in announcing power and and might but Christ whose kingdom is the upside-down kingdom, whose kingdom is marked by servanthood, comes in on a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy given 500 years before this in a book called Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He goes on and says, I will, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. I've come to preach peace. And because of the blood of the covenant, the prisoners will be set free. And so as, as he comes in, the, the people cut down palm branches which symbolized goodwill and prosperity and hope and they took their cloaks and they, they laid them on the ground and they made a, a royal reception for Christ and they were shouting this Hosanna or, or which means come Lord save Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David Hosanna in the highest some commentators feel like this is something of an antiphonal saying as the crowd milled around in front and behind of Jesus as he's entering on the donkey one group would say Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the other group would say blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David Hosanna Hosanna in the highest the royal reception this is unlike our reception has ever been given to a king because this king is unlike any other king. And then when you think about the milling crowd, you think of the mixed response. Uh, some people are there, quite frankly, because it's, it's uh, very easy to be attracted by and be mesmerized by a wonder worker. You know, you're kind of a flash in the night, somebody that's, you know, has great exposure. In John chapter 7, the brothers of Christ have this discussion with him. He says this, the Feast of the Booths was at hand, and so his brothers said to Christ, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If, if you do these things, show yourself to the world, close quote, for not even his brothers believed in him. It's interesting. His, his brother says, you know, we've seen the miracles. We were at the wedding feast with you, brother, and you turned water into the best wine we've ever tasted. A couple of us were with you on the hillside, and we saw you take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 men. We, we have seen the miracles. Expose yourself. Do more miracles. Get a huge following. And, and we can be part of the inner circle. This little, even his brothers did not believe in him. They saw him as a miracle worker. They saw him as a teacher with power, not as Messiah King. Others were just caught up in the moment. In the attendant statement in Luke chapter 19, it says that they, as he was drawing near, the whole multitude, multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and Praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. There were people there who'd seen mighty works, and they were part 
they were part of the entourage. They were part of the gathering. You know, all the Jews go into Jerusalem at the Passover, so there were a huge milling crowds, lots of people, and there were folks there who had been just caught up in the moment. Just part of the crowd. Some, some resisted. Some resisted. This, this little statement in Luke is one of my favorite statements in the Gospels. Listen to this. The Pharisees resisted. The Pharisees, on hearing what people were saying, which is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Christ says, everything was made by me and for me. And if these remained silent, the stones would cry out. But the Pharisees resisted. Don't you hear what these people are saying? They're ascribing unto you divinity. They are proclaiming you're a Messiah king. Rebuke them. Christ says, no, no. The stones would cry out. And then there, there was a fourth group. The, the fourth group knew that he was Messiah, but they were confused. They, they, they didn't quite get it. Listen, listen to this. This is John chapter 11, right before the triumphal entry. Lazarus is dead. Christ says, when he heard of it, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. But the disciples were filled with consternation. And they said this, they said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble. And, and then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Thomas, that we call Doubting Thomas, Thomas says this, listen to verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that he was not, I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He didn't get it. He, he got it, but he didn't get it. He's my Messiah. He's my rabbi. He's my teacher. Guys, let's go to Jerusalem with him so we can all die together. They got it, but they didn't get it. And then I step back and I ask, what is our response today to these events? It's somewhat parallel when I look at people around me. There are some people who say Jesus was a great teacher, even a miracle worker. But, but he was not eternal God in the flesh. He was a great man. There's a man named Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy. We call him Leo. 
It's easier to say than Lev Nikolaevich. Leo Tolstoy lived a very unusual life the last, after a very profligate lifestyle, the last 10 years of his life, he became an ascetic. He swore off gladly his wife, to read their story. He renounced his wealth. He lived in poverty. He says, I'm imitating the life of Christ. And many people say, oh, Tolstoy has embraced Christ. And when you read his letters and read his journals, he was embracing the Christ life, not the Christ who's Messiah King. He admired Christ the man, but rejected the claims of the apostles and the claims of Christ regarding being God in the flesh. Another great man of the 20th century, Mahatma Gandhi, the great soul, said that the finest thing I have ever read in my life is the Sermon on the Mount, but Gandhi rejected the divinity of Jesus. Gandhi said Christ is a great teacher. He's a miracle worker. He was a revolutionary in the area of peaceful resistance, but he was not God. Others are just caught up in the Christ event. I mean, there are going to be a lot of people who will be doing the Easter thing this week. I mean, they'll do something for Easter, whether they hide Easter eggs or buy new bright clothes or uh, have, have a big Easter lunch. And they'll, many of them will go to church but because that's who they are. They live in America. And this is one of the key times of the year. This and the 4th of July and Thanksgiving and Christmas and Clemson Carolina weekend. These are the big events of our life. And they'll go. I mean, they'll, they'll go. But they're just kind of caught. They say, this is my culture. This is my culture. This is, just, this is just an event that marks who I am as part of middle America or whatever. You just get caught up. I was laughing last year at a friend who was with a couple other people, other friends in, in Spain last, last year when, when Spain won the European Cup. And the same week, the Wall Street Journal said this Spanish soccer team may be the greatest team in the history of sport. They're, they're so incredibly good. Now, I don't know soccer. I don't follow soccer. European soccer especially. But they have to be in Barcelona the night Spain won the World Cup. And hundreds of thousands of people flooded the square in Barcelona. Now, they couldn't tell you one player on the team. They couldn't tell you probably the colors of the Spanish team. But they said, hey, we're in Barcelona. So they went to the town square, and they were celebrating, crying out, Viva la España, Viva la España, long live Spain. They, they had a great time. It was a party. They just got swept up in the crowd. That happens. That happens. That happened here. People were swept up, and they said, what's going on? Well, the teacher's coming in. The rabbi's coming in. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What are you saying? Yeah, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They saw people throwing down cloaks and palm branches, and they said, wow, this is neat. A, a, a mass rally about peace and hope and joy and Jewish superiority in the face of Roman occupation. Yeah, I can do that. A lot of people just get caught up in the moment. And there's a third group. There are people who actively resist the claims of Christ. They've heard them. They've known them. 
they've even maybe studied the evidences for a resurrection. And they've stepped away and many of them have said, detractors make no sense. I mean, people that say Christ really didn't die on the cross and the coolness of the grave revived him after being wound in maybe hundreds of yards of tape and God, I mean, a shroud. It doesn't make sense. The Passover plot makes no sense. Or they said, well, the, the women went to the wrong tomb. That's another theory people hold out. The women and the disciples went to the wrong tomb. And they were just confused. And the apostles went to their death perpetrating the lies. These things just don't bear the stamp of history. And as you do that, but you still resist. You just resist. You, in essence, say to the disciples, like the Pharisees did, Rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. I don't understand how God works in hearts. But there'll be people you'll talk to this week, even be in church next week, who are resisting the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I pray God has mercy on them. And then there's a fourth group, and that'd be us, Christ followers, those of you Christ followers who stand on this side of this resurrection and, and this side of the empty tomb and this side of the poured out Holy Spirit. And, and, and you look back, I tell you, I look back on the, the clear statements of Jesus about the sign of Jonah, about going to Jerusalem and being beaten and flogged and persecuted and killed and rising victorious from death. And I'm going, how in the world did the disciples not get this? I mean, it's amazing to me. How didn't they get, they didn't get, Thomas said, come on guys, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Thomas! But they all say, well, I stand on this side of the resurrection, this side of the ascension, this side of the outpouring Holy Spirit. And, and so we say, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so we think this week about next Sunday when we'll, we'll wake up and we will say, he is risen. And your friends will say, he is risen indeed. And there's hope. There's purpose. There's an eternity. And so the, the message, the message very quickly is this, says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The Lucan account says that the message is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The, the, the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom. And we say the kingdom has come. It's been gloriously inaugurated. It's, we live in the already but the not yet. It will be fulfilled in heaven, but we live in the day of the outpoured blessings of God in the middle of a fallen world. We still taste the blessings of God. We think of the statement in John chapter 12 where, where the Lord says, verse 27, this is what it says. Now, now, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
This is the night of his passion. Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said, heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, no, an angel has spoken. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now, now the promise of Genesis 3.15 is going to be fulfilled. For Jesus said to God said in the midst of the fossils that, that Satan will strike your heel, but your seed will crush his head. On the cross, the head of Satan was crushed. This is now kingdom come. And because of that, we say peace and glory. He is our peace. The angel said, peace on earth. Peace upon men on whom his favor rests. The Bible says you'll keep him in perfect peace whose heart is stayed upon thee. Peace, now is kingdom come. The kingdom is here. There's a quote in the bulletin from one of my favorite books, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, that says, Shalom is the weaving together of hope, harmony, and universal delight in the person of the living God. Peace. The message. Glory be to God for the coming kingdom of your servant, David, the kingdom has come. That's the message. Do you know that peace in your life? In your relationships? In the way you care for people? Do you know that peace? And then you come to this very quickly. Come to the, this, this statement in Luke. He's just entered in triumphantly. The crowds are milling about him, it says. And when he drew near... He saw the city and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He said, when, when you reject the prince of peace, there are consequences. And Jesus could see the future. Forty years later, a general named Titus would siege Jerusalem. The people would starve to death and throw bodies over the wall. The city fell and was leveled to the ground. 97,000 were taken into captivity. Josephus tells us that hundreds and hundreds of thousands were killed in this mass destruction. Jesus saw it and he wept. And I, I look at this and I say, God, give me tears for people. You know, one thing about getting older is you see things through the vantage point of age. Uh, several people told me about a, a young man they know whose father was wealthy and who told him, if you hit your 21st birthday without using tobacco, I will write you a check for $50,000. I'm from North Carolina. And we'd like to use tobacco. 
but I think I would do that for 50 grand. Now, his, what his daddy knew is this, that survey after survey tells us if you hit the age of 21 without using tobacco, you probably will never be addicted to it. See what I'm saying? You see, the, you see the, from the vantage point of years. What, what, do, you, what do you say? I, 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 I do. When I hear that a family has been disbanded, a husband has left his wife or vice versa, one of the first things I say is this, were there any children involved? If they say no, you say thank you. To say yes, I, I cringe because I, I see through the years that that divorce inevitably, in one way or another, impacts the children. And I see when people leave, there's a verse in Proverbs 4, we don't have time to go there, that says that the, the path of the righteous grows brighter every day. And I believe that. Then when you follow the man of sorrows, the Lord of all glory, Jesus, you're on the path of life. And if you fall off into the ditch, you repent and you get back on, you keep on going on. But if you, when you back up and you go down the other path, the broad path that leads to destruction, you see where this decision leads to this decision, leads to this decision, leads to this decision, and it does not go well. And we should look at people that we love who are without Christ and we should weep for them. Not only for this life, but for eternity. Jesus wept. And the word here for weep doesn't mean he just kind of got emotional. I mean, there were sobs, deep, deep, heaving sobs. He saw what was coming. I pray we would see what's coming. We would love people. Let's pray. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed be the son of David. Blessed be you, O Christ, because you have established and cried out from the cross as our sin bearer, from the empty tomb, from the resurrection, the ascension, from the courtroom of heaven where you pray for your own. You have proclaimed this is kingdom come. And we pray that your kingdom would come in our lives and in our homes. And I pray that part of that kingdom would be a deep pathos, a love for people without Christ, a deep love for the nations, a deep love for our neighbors. I, I pray that as we think of the vantage point of years that we would step back and with our Savior, we would weep. But I pray this week that as we prepare for Easter and as we celebrate your goodness, that you would work in us and speak to us. Lord, uh, I pray for those around us who, who see you as a good teacher, a miracle worker, a laudable man on the level of a, a Plato or an Aristotle. 
I pray they would see you as the word of glory. I, I pray for those who are just caught up in the moment, who are part of the cultural index of this culture. The, the, they just, they, they, are, they come to church occasionally, and they're not hot or cold or anything. They're just there. I pray you to rest their attention with the beauty of the sin-bearing Savior. I pray for those who just oppose you, who speak out against you, Lord. And I thank you that in your, we know in your incredible mercy that one of the chief haters of Jesus was changed from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. I pray to do that in lives of people that we know who just speak against you. And I, I pray that, Lord, we would really get it that we would really get the glory of Christ as, your, as Christ's followers, that we'd be mesmerized by the wonder of the cross and the glory of Easter week and the power of the resurrection. So Lord, speak and work and move in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.